This past Friday, the United States Supreme Court overturned the famous Roe v. Wade case that legalized abortion in America back in 1973. It was a 6-3 decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. This ruling does not say abortion is now illegal in the United States. This ruling simply says that the people of the United States, through their elected representatives, should be deciding whether or not to allow or regulate abortion. The people should be deciding that through their elected representatives. It puts the decision back on the state level, and that's a good thing. It is a long overdue victory for the life of the unborn. And on this episode of the Grizz Podcast, I'm going to help you better understand what this historic decision means and also explain what we as Christian men need to better understand about abortion and how to respond to those who hold an opposing view. Many quote-unquote Christians are talking about abortion in the wrong way. I saw it all weekend on Facebook. There's a better, more intelligent, and more loving way for us to talk about the issue of abortion that causes people with an opposing view to think and question their views. This is something I've been learning from two guys, Sean Carney and Steve Carlin, authors of the incredible book, What to Say When, The Complete New Guide to Discussing Abortion. Everybody's talking about abortion since Friday. Good. Let's talk about it. But let's first learn how to talk about it. So here we go. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Grizz Podcast where our mission is to help boys become men and to help men become better men. It's going to be raw, it's going to be real, and it's going to be relevant. Now, here's your host, Jason George. I'm your huckleberry. Yo, what is going down on my brothers from other mothers around the world? Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Grizz podcast. Today is Monday, June 27th, 2022, and I'm coming at you from the low country of South Carolina as usual. I sincerely hope you are doing well. If you're new to this podcast and you'd like to learn more about myself or our nonprofit ministry, you can go to narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com. And if you like this episode, then hit that subscribe button and share the link to it with a friend. Also, you can leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate that. All right, let's rip into the meat, you know what I'm saying? So this monumental decision from the U.S. Supreme Court regarding abortion comes, if you remember, after a recent leak of a draft opinion that revealed which way the justices were planning to rule on this case. That leak lit the fuse for not only protest across America, but also vandalism against church buildings and various pro-life organizations and their places of business. Angry protesters even gathered outside the homes of Supreme Court justices, something that I do not think should be allowed. There was also a man who traveled all the way from California to Justice Kavanaugh's home in Maryland to assassinate him. He had a gun, knife, duct tape, zip ties, and more. And he later told police that his reason for trying to murder Justice Kavanaugh, was because he was upset about the recent school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and he was also upset because of the leaked draft opinion from the Supreme Court that indicated that the justices were planning to overturn Roe v. Wade. So he literally drove all the way across the country to break into Justice Kavanaugh's home, murder him, and then kill himself. That was his plan. At least that's what he told the cops after he was apprehended. It's crazy. 
this just shows how heated and divisive this issue of abortion is in our country. I was at dinner with my wife this past Friday night, sitting outside at a beautiful restaurant when the couple behind us began discussing the Supreme Court's decision from earlier that day, and a heated argument ensued. I'm not kidding. We could hear everything. The woman was irate over the SCOTUS decision and was obviously very much pro-abortion. Now, her boyfriend was not pro-abortion. He viewed abortion as wrong, and he said it was murder of the unborn children. He totally kept his cool, and he had some really good logical, even scientific responses to her emotional tirade, and I was impressed. She was mean, she was aggressive, condescending, illogical, and just highly emotional. It's extremely difficult to have an intelligent conversation with someone like that. Oftentimes, it's the pro-life person who comes across like that. Both my wife and I wanted to uh, walk over to the table and tell the man that he did an outstanding job, the way that he uh, just responded to his girlfriend. And we also wanted to tell him to run. (laughs) But it didn't seem like the best thing to do at the time in that situation. Now, I bring this situation up because, again, this just shows how heated and divisive this issue of abortion is in this country. I'm sure that many of you guys saw that same thing on social media this past weekend. Perhaps this past weekend you were part of a heated conversation regarding abortion. Now, before we get into how to better handle those types of conversations, I want you to hear exactly what Justice Samuel Alito said regarding this recent SCOTUS decision. He had some really excellent points uh, that he made. First, he talks about how abortion was viewed in this country before the Roe v. Wade case in 1973. He says, not only was there no support for such a constitutional right until shortly before Roe, but abortion had long been a crime in every single state. At common law, abortion was criminal in at least some stages of pregnancy and was regarded as unlawful and could have serious consequences at all stages. American law followed the common law until a wave of statutory restrictions in the 1800s expanded criminal liability for abortions. By the time of the adoption of the 14th Amendment, three quarters of the states had made abortion a crime at any stage of pregnancy and the remaining states would soon follow. Roe was egregiously... I think I said that right, wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey, another case, have inflamed debate and deepened division. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. He then goes on to talk about what the 14th Amendment actually protects. In interpreting what is meant by the 14th Amendment's reference to liberty, we must guard against the natural human tendency to confuse what the amendment protects with our own ardent views about the liberty that Americans should enjoy. That is why the court has long been reluctant to recognize rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution. He then talks about how the court is not allowed to impose its own quote-unquote theory of life on the nation. He says, 
Our opinion is not based on any view about if and when prenatal life is entitled to any of the rights enjoyed after birth. The dissent, by contrast, would impose on the people a particular theory about when the rights of personhood begins. According to the dissent, the Constitution requires the states to regard a fetus as lacking even the most basic human right to live, at least until an arbitrary point in a pregnancy has passed. Nothing in the Constitution or in our nation's legal traditions authorizes the court to adopt that theory of life. He also says that Roe v. Wade, uh, that decision usurped power. He says, Roe was on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided. Casey, another case, perpetrated its errors, and those errors do not concern some arcane corners of the law of little importance to the American people. Rather, wielding nothing but quote-unquote raw judicial power the court usurped the power to address a question of profound moral and social importance that the Constitution unequivocally leaves for the people. He also states that Roe versus Wade decision relies on erroneous historical narrative. He says, Roe found that the Constitution implicitly conferred a right to obtain an abortion but it failed to ground its decision in text, history, or precedent. It relied on an erroneous historical narrative. It devoted great attention to and presumably relied on matters that have no bearing on the meaning of the Constitution. It disregarded the fundamental difference between the precedents on which it relied and the question before the court. It concocted an elaborate set of rules with different restrictions for each trimester of pregnancy, but it did not explain how this veritable code could be teased out of anything in the Constitution, the history of abortion laws, prior precedent, or any other cited source. In its most important rule, the states cannot protect fetal life prior to viability was never raised by any opinion of the court party and has never been plausibly explained. He then goes on to emphasize the democratic consequences of this new ruling on Friday. Our decision returns the issue of abortion to those legislative bodies, and it allows women on both sides of the abortion issue to seek to affect the legislative process by influencing public opinion, lobbying legislators, voting, and running for office. Women are not without electoral or political power. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast ballots is consistently higher than the percentage of men who do so. He then goes on to say that he does not know how the U.S. will respond to this new ruling. We do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe and also Casey, the different case that came later. And even if we could foresee what will happen, we would have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law apply long-standing principles of uh, stare decisis. I think I said that right. And decide this case accordingly. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey must be overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. In conclusion, he says, Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected 
representatives. So again, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, this ruling does not say abortion is now illegal in the United States. This ruling simply says that the people of the United States, through their elected representatives, should be deciding whether or not to allow or regulate abortion. It puts the decision back on the state level. Now, let me grab a sip of my coffee right quick. Oh, man. My son convinced my wife to uh, buy this really nice, fancy, um, what do you call it, man? It's, it's not even a coffee machine, like an espresso machine. And I'm addicted to it. Anyway, she never got the thing. Anyway, personally, I'm Jason George. I am 100% against abortion. And I have good, solid, biblical, logical, and even scientific reasons for that. But the moment people learn that I'm against abortion, many of them automatically assume things about me. Oh, he's one of those judgmental, intolerant Republicans. He's a Christian bigot. He hates gays. He hates poor people too. He's sexist. He's racist. He wants to lock up women who do have abortions. That's what he wants. Blah, blah, blah. To which I say, don't stereotype me. Because I don't do that to you. Get to know me because you might actually like me and agree with me. You might not. You might like me but agree to disagree with me and I'm okay with that I might like you and agree to disagree with you why can't we do that anymore I've learned that I don't want to have a heated argument with anyone over abortion I don't want to have a heated argument about it at all you can seek someone else to do that with because I don't want to do it I don't think Heated arguments change anything. They often make things worse and just cause more division. How do I know that? Because I've done it. I've engaged in those arguments. Sometimes I'm the one that started it. Now, where I'm at in life, I'd love to have a calm, respectful, intelligent conversation where true arguments can be presented, where important questions can be asked and answered. That's what we need to be having, guys. That's how we need to come across in person with people who oppose us and on social media. Stand your ground, but keep calm. Speak the truth in love and know what you're talking about. Or shut up. No, don't shut up. Learn what you need to be talking about. And then speak up. But do it respectful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be an ass. And don't be passive. I'm not telling you to be passive. I'm just not going to say anything. I don't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers. I'm not saying that either. I'm telling you to stand up. Speak the truth, stand your ground, but keep calm. Know what you're talking about. Be respectful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be an ass. Don't be passive. You should engage on this subject, but you should do it in the right way. I haven't always done that. Listen, guys, stop trying to hammer people. What we want is for the person who has an opposing view to reevaluate their view because of the questions we've asked them or because of the facts we've presented to them in the right way. You can articulate the pro-life position without coming across like a self-righteous, arrogant ass. You can do that and you should do that. I haven't always done this right in the past, but I'm trying to now. Here are some things I'm learning. First of all, don't let abortion advocates distract you. 
stay on topic. They will often try to distract you into other topics or hypothetical situations. You have to stick to the real issue. Abortion kills an innocent child. Period. That's the real issue. That's what we need to talk about and come to terms with. Period. I don't want to talk about the death penalty or poverty in the inner city or should 18-year-olds be able to buy an AK-47. We could talk about all of that another time. Stick to the real issue at hand. Abortion kills an innocent child. And that's a problem. That's what I'm against. And to the person who is for abortion, try to get them to consider what is actually happening inside of a pregnant woman. Because many of them, they don't ever think about it. Talk science with them. Because science reveals that a new life begins at conception. It's a verifiable scientific fact that is taught in medical schools. It's written about in peer-reviewed medical journals. It's described in embryology textbooks and also filmed with cameras and shown by National Geographic. Human life really does begin at conception. That's not just what a Bible-believing Christian believes because some pastor told us to believe that. It's a settled scientific fact. Dr. Jerome Lejeune, who is considered the father of modern genetics, stated, the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It is plain experimental evidence. Dr. Lejeune is not the only respected scientist to confirm that human life begins at conception. Dr. Jaime Gordon, former genetics department chair at Mayo Clinic and the National Bioethics Advisory Commission, a distinguished professor at Harvard and many other leading universities, agree with this fact. In fact, there was a 2018 academic study by the University of Chicago with their researcher, Dr. Stephen Jacobs. He found that 95% of biologists, including supermajorities of scientists who self-identify as pro-choice or liberal, 95% of them, even who identify as pro-choice or liberal, affirm that life begins at fertilization. It is basic embryology. I don't know if most people have really thought through the science and biology of pregnancy and what's going on there because it it opens your eyes. It makes you think, what are we doing with abortion? You see, at fertilization, Genetic instructions from the mother and the father combine to form a zygote, barely visible to the human eye. This single cell contains more information than 50 sets of the physical 33-volume set of the Encyclopedia Britannica at fertilization. On the very first day, the first four cell divisions take place as the zygote travels down the mother's fallopian tubes toward the uterus, all the while being nourished and protected by the mother's body. After five to nine days, it implants in the uterus, and from this point onward to about eight weeks, it is known as an embryo. Pro-abortionists often make the unscientific claim that pregnancy begins at implantation instead of fertilization. The change of terminology regarding the beginning of pregnancy was made in the 1960s based not on medical evidence, but simply to clear the way for abortifacient means of birth control that were under development at the time. Around two weeks in the womb after fertilization, 
four weeks gestational age, the first missed menstrual period happens. The mother's menstruation is suppressed by chemical signals emitted by the unborn child. The child's first completed brain cells appear. At three weeks, the preborn child's heart is in an advanced stage of formation. His eyes begin to form, and his brain, his spinal column, or her spinal column, and the nervous system are virtually complete. At just over three weeks, 24 days, at 24 days since conception, a heartbeat begins. At four weeks, his or her muscles are developing. His or her arms and legs, they, they begin to bud, they're visible. And his first neocortical cells appear. The neocortex is the seat of complex thinking and reasoning a feature present in no other mammal. He has grown in size by a factor of 10,000 since fertilization and is now six to seven uh, millimeters long, about a quarter of an inch. Blood flows in the baby's veins, separate from his mother's blood. At five weeks, the baby's pituitary gland is forming. The pituitary is often called the master gland since it controls the functions of most of the other endocrine glands. Endocrine glands, sorry. Additionally, the baby's mouth, ears, and nose are taking shape. Then at six weeks, six weeks, the baby's heart energy output is an incredible 20% that of an adult's. Her cartilage skeleton is completely formed, and ossification bone formation begins. The umbilical cord is developed. Her brain coordinates voluntary movement of muscles and the involuntary movement of organs. Reflex responses are present. At around 43 days, the baby's brain waves can be recorded now. At 45 days, he or she begins spontaneous and voluntary body movements, and his milk teeth buds are present. At seven weeks, his lips are sensitive to touch and his ears resemble his family's pattern. The first fully developed neurons, nerve cells appear on the top of his spinal cord, beginning the construction of the brain stem, which regulates vital functions such as breathing, the heartbeat, and blood pressure. At eight weeks, the preborn baby is well proportioned, about one and a half inches long and one thirtieth of an ounce in weight. All organs are present, complete, and functioning, except the lungs. Her heart beats sturdily, her stomach produces digestive juices, her liver makes blood cells, and her kidneys are functioning. Her taste buds are forming, and her unique fingerprints are being engraved. Her eyelids and the palms of her hand are sensitive to touch. Of the 45 total generations of cell replication that will take place by mature adulthood, fully two-thirds, 30, have already taken place. She now consists of about 1 billion cells, containing more genetic information than every word communicated by every human being who has ever lived since the beginning of the human race. That takes place by eight weeks. At nine weeks, the preborn child will bend his fingers around an object placed in his palm. His fingers are forming and he sucks his thumb. At 10 weeks, all sections of her body are sensitive to touch. She swallows, squints, frowns, and puckers up her brow. By 11 weeks, he makes all facial expressions, including smiles. He is now breathing amniotic fluid steadily and will continue to do so until birth. His fingernails and toenails, toenails are now present. His taste buds are working. He will drink more amniotic fluid if it is artificially sweetened and less if it is given a bitter taste. By the end of the first trimester, 12 weeks, the point at which most surgical abortions are done, vigorous activity shows the baby's distinct personality. Sleep patterns differ. Some babies hiccup constantly. Others may cry. The baby can kick, turn over, curl, and fan her toes, make a fist, open her mouth, and press her lips tightly together, and practice breathing at 13 weeks, the preborn child's facial expressions resemble those of her parents. 
Her movements are vigorous and graceful. Her vocal cords and external sex organs are present, and the sex of the baby can be determined. The baby can now hear very clearly. At four months, 16 weeks, the preborn baby can grasp with her hands, swim, and turn somersaults. Her mother may first feel her movements at this time. Her eyelashes are now present, and rapid eye movements, REM, indicating dreaming can be recorded. A very bright light shined on the mother's abdomen will cause the baby to slowly move her arms to cover her eyes. Very loud music will cause her to cover her ears. By five months, 20 weeks, the preborn baby has formed his own unique sleeping habits, and a loud sound such as a slammed door may startle him. His hearing has a wider range of frequency than an adult's in both the higher and lower ranges. He may be soothed to sleep by gentle music. At six months, 24 weeks, most babies can live outside the womb with proper care. Fine hair grows on his head and eyebrows, and he now has eyelashes. He weighs about 22 ounces and is about 9 inches tall. After 7 months, 28 weeks, his weight increases to over 1 kilogram, 2.2 pounds. His lungs are capable of breathing air. His, his eye teeth are present. His hands can support his entire weight at this time, and he recognizes his own mother's voice. Of the 45 total generations of cell replication that will take place by mature adulthood, 38 have already taken place. He now has about 300 billion cells. At 8 months, 32 weeks, with only 1 month to go, his weight is about 2 kilograms, 4.4 pounds. If born now, he has more than a 90% chance of surviving and being entirely healthy. At 9 months, 36 weeks, The baby is gaining about an ounce of weight per day. All of his senses are fully functioning and his toenails and fingernails are complete. What is taking place right there, guys, inside of a mother's womb over those nine months is nothing short of a miracle. A separate life exists and is being developed. It's obvious. It's proven scientifically. Those who are for abortion are advocating for the killing and dismembering of that precious life. Abortion is not health care or medical care. You see, health or medical care is meant to preserve or enhance human life. Abortion is the exact opposite of health or medical care. You know, abortion is the only surgical procedure in the world that the person is not helped in any way. With abortion, the person is not supposed to survive. The surgical procedure's whole goal is to kill that person. And by the way, the abortion pill is the only pharmaceutical in the world that is designed to kill a patient who didn't even ask for it. Let all of this sink in when you're calmly and respectfully talking to people and telling them this. Let it sink in. Ask them, why would it ever be okay to kill a defenseless baby? Why? Why would that ever be okay? Millions of Americans were irate over the recent senseless murder of 19 elementary school children in Uvalde, Texas, and they should be. But why is that not okay, but the killing of a defenseless baby is okay? Why? Help me understand that. Because that's what abortion comes down to. Again, this is the real issue. Don't let anyone distract you from it. Abortion kills an innocent child. Over 60 million innocent children have been murdered since the Roe v. Wade decision 50 years ago. Why is that okay with you? Please help me understand that. Ask these kinds of questions to those with opposing views on abortion. When we calmly and respectfully ask questions, 
It demonstrates our respect for the other person. So ask them questions that make them think through the horror of abortion. Many abortion advocates have never thought much about the stages of pregnancy. They haven't thought about the proven science, nor have they thought much about what abortion actually is. They've just been indoctrinated with very deceptive terms like health care, reproductive rights, woman's choice, privacy. It drives me nuts. They're deceptive terms. Like with health care, is killing and dismembering an innocent baby and sucking it out with a vacuum, is that really what you call health care? Does quote-unquote reproductive rights really have anything to do with human reproduction or does it have to do with killing an innocent baby? Because I'm all for human reproduction and Americans having the right to do that. I'm for you having the right to reproduce. (laughs) It's a good thing. Just asking legitimate, intelligent questions like this that desperately need to be answered, I do believe it can change minds. So we have to learn to ask good, intelligent questions calmly and respectfully. And then we need to learn how to really listen, think before we speak, pray, and answer those who oppose with good, solid facts, arguments, questions, but do it in love. Let me grab a drink. An excellent book that is helping me and will help you with this. (laughs) That's where so much is coming from that I'm learning. It's called What to Say When. What to Say When. That's the name of the book. The Complete New Guide to Discussing Abortion. How to Change Minds and Convert Hearts in a Brave New World. It is by Sean Carney and Steve Carlin, I'll put a link in the show notes. Man, it's already helped me have some very good conversations with those who hold an opposing view. Good conversations even since Friday that I've been engaged in. And listen, with my intelligent questions that I've learned to ask, I recently left one person in complete silence. And at first that felt awkward and I'm like, did I mess up? But then I thought, no, it's good. Because I knew that she was thinking thoughts regarding abortion that she never thought before. And she was re-evaluating her view and position. That book, dude, you need to get it. Like I said, I'll put a link in the show notes. I would love to get the authors here on the Grizz podcast. But that book answers so much that I just don't have time to cover in one episode um, here on the Grizz podcast. Things like, can abortion be medically necessary? What about rape? What about climate and population and population control and abortion? What about does contraception reduce abortion? There's so many questions that need to be answered that are good questions. Questions that are going to come up that we need to know how to answer intelligently, calmly, respectfully. Much more is covered in the book. It's not a big book. It's a, uh, it's a short book. Uh, but a necessary read for all of us who are Christ followers. You know, stupid Christian should be an oxymoron. Ignorant Christian should be an oxymoron. We should be intelligent. We should be growing in our knowledge. 
should be growing in our knowledge of God, of his commands, of creation, of theology. We should be growing in our knowledge of people, of the afterlife. We should be growing in our knowledge of how to love people. We should be growing in our knowledge of how to win people over. And we should be growing in our knowledge of, you know, how to answer the hard questions of life. We should be constantly growing in the knowledge of those things. So get that book, What to Say When. Let me grab another drink here. My throat is starting to bother me a little bit. And remember, respect and love those who disagree with you without giving credibility to their arguments. And remember, stick to the real issue. Keep circling back to it. Abortion kills an innocent child. Period. That's the real issue we must keep circling back to. That's why we're pro-life. That's why we're against abortion. It's not a left or right thing. It's not a Republican or Democrat thing. It's completely about the sacredness of human life. Every person should be given the right to live. Then what they choose to do with that life, that's up to them. I 100% believe what God says about life inside of the womb, that he knew us, um, as a distinct and unique person, he knew us as a distinct and unique person while still in the womb. He knew us. Jeremiah 1.5. And I also 100% believe what science reveals about life inside of the womb. That there is a complete, separate, and unique human body life inside of a pregnant woman. And that separate and unique human body life It is fully alive. Therefore, by the way, this whole idea of my body, my choice, my body, my choice, it is really an invalid argument when it comes to abortion. Yes, every woman should have a choice over what happens to her body. Yes, I agree with that. I'm for that. My body, my choice. I totally agree with you. I feel you. I've been shouting that for about two years in regard to COVID vaccines. My body, my choice. You want to take it? You take it. That's on you. But when it comes to having an abortion, in light of all that I've just explained about the proven science, biology, etymology of pregnancy, uh, not out of my embryology, sorry. Listen, man, respectfully, it's not your body that you're killing. My body, my choice. It's not your body you're killing. If you choose to kill your body, go commit suicide, that's your choice. I don't agree with that choice, and I'll try to prevent you from making that choice, but that's your choice. That's your life. That's your body. With abortion, you're making the decision to terminate the life of someone else. There is a complete separate and unique life, body, person inside of every pregnant woman. And that person has a right to live. What about their body, their choice? My body, my choice. What about their body, their choice? Seriously, what about their body, their choice? They never get to make it because of you if you commit an abortion. To wrap this up, I want to be quick to say that I've personally done many wrong things in my life that I'm very ashamed of. Things I don't want to talk about. I don't think I'm any better than the girl or the woman who walks into the abortion clinic today. I'm not here to judge any girl or woman who's had an abortion or who will have one. I actually care about you. You're still incredibly valuable. You did not commit the unpardonable sin when you did that or if you do that. We are all, all 
sinful, broken people before God. I care about people who've made mistakes. I care about people who've been abused. I care about people who struggle with identity issues. I care about those who are addicted to harmful things. I care about people who are LGBTQ+. Just because I acknowledge and call out sin for what it is, that doesn't mean I don't care about the person who commits the sin. Again, we're all sinners before God. We're all broken people. We've all done things we're ashamed of. I don't claim to know or understand everything about your life or why you've done what you've done or why you're going to do what you're going to do. I don't claim to understand that. But you shouldn't do that with me either. More importantly, I need to say that God, the creator of the universe, he is full of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. No matter who you are or what you've done, he still loves you. That's what the death of Christ on the cross made possible for all of us. Listen, if we humble ourselves and admit to God that we're sinners and we place our heart faith in what his son Jesus Christ did for us on the cross by taking the punishment for our sins, God promises, he promises to grant us forgiveness for all of our sins. He promises to give us new life and become our heavenly father. He promises to give us eternal life in heaven when we die. He promises that he can begin making a miracle out of whatever mess we find ourselves in. My life, Jason George, my life is living proof of that. Listen to these verses of scripture. Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16 and 17, For God so loved the world, sinful human beings, that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, that whoever believes in him will not perish, in hell, but will have everlasting life in heaven. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13 goes on and says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new life has come. So no matter who you are listening to this or what you've done, I encourage you to humble yourself, turn to Christ and the cross for mercy, grace, forgiveness, new life, meaning, purpose, healing. That's what I've done. That's what I still do. I don't claim to have it all together, but I know the God who does. I'm not any better than any of you who listen to this. I actually may be more broken and, and jacked up than you. Fact, I'm still working through a whole lot of issues in my life a lot of hurts, a lot of hang-ups, a lot of struggles, but I'm doing it now with the help of God because of Christ, because of the cross, because of faith in him. There's still some ugly stuff that needs to go in Jason George, but listen, I'm not the man I used to be, but I recognize I'm certainly not everything I want or need to be. I'm a work in progress. That's what real Christianity is about, in case no one's told you. God saves us, and he begins changing us from the inside out, even the way we need to talk and deal with people. It's a process. It ain't easy, 
It's often messy, but it's a beautiful mess. God wants every person, every person to have life now and eternal life later. Man, I hope this helps whoever you are that's listening. Pastors and youth pastors that are listening, feel free to use any of this, any of this material as you talk about abortion with your congregation or youth group. And you should be talking to them because they're talking about it. Everyone is talking about it right now. And I'm happy to provide you a PDF transcript of my notes. And I want to encourage you to get that book, What to Say When. If this episode of the Grizz Podcast helped guide, encourage, and equip you, then please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to the Grizz Podcast and share this episode with a friend or maybe a men's group. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com. You know, the recent SCOTUS decision was a definite victory in some sense, but we as Christians need to be so careful not to come across like arrogant asses. We have real work to do here in this broken world. We have to become more equipped to have intelligent, calm, respectful conversations with those who are for abortion. We can and should stand our ground, but we have to do it in the right way. I haven't always done that. I too have to do better. That's it for this episode. God bless all of you, my brothers. I'm out. Listening to the Grizz Podcast, an outreach of Narrow Trail Ministries Incorporated. If this podcast has been helping to guide, encourage, and equip you to live the manly life that God's calling you to live, then please consider partnering with us by giving a tax exempt donation to our nonprofit ministry. Your financial gift will help us continue to improve and expand our impact around the world. You can make your secure online donation at thegrizzpodcast.com. Now it's time to take what you've learned and chew on it. And then you need to step up, man up, and go live it out. Grizzin, you know what I'm saying. Uh.